All right. Joining us now on Through the Ringer, he is the Ringer's very own draft guru. If you haven't already, go check out the Ringer NBA Draft Guide. It is amazing work. And he is the amazing Kevin O'Connor, KOC. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Always happy to join the amazing Tate Frazier. <laughs> well, I, look at us. I mean, we're just being so kind to each other. Um, it is NBA Draft Week. There is a lot of stress that is on the way, especially for people that are in your business. Uh, there's a lot of conversations about, you know, who's moving here, who's moving there. But before we get into the draft stuff, I want to talk about the the quote unquote biggest story in NBA basketball right now. Of course, in case you missed it, there is a new big three potentially big four in the NBA. We don't know if the Suns will have a full 15-man roster at this point, but they will have three all-stars on their roster. Bradley Beal gets traded for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, um, you know, a bag of popcorn, and Chris Paul found out on a flight to Good Morning America in New York. That is the headline. Um, but KOC, what, do you, what was your big first takeaway from this big trade for Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns? My first takeaway, my initial thought was, well, this is kind of redundant with Devin Booker and <laughs> right. Kevin Durant. Um, however, uh, as you kind of think about it more and spend more time with the trade, there was no player better than Bradley Beal that the Suns could have received for Chris Paul and Landry Shamit and the bag of picks that they gave up. Like, it's nothing high value. There's no better player they could have received. And so for the Sun side of things here, they spun those assets into an upgrade. And now for this team, they're still in a position where they retain DeAndre Ayton. They could flip him in another deal. And with this Wizards deal, as more details have come out, they got Isaiah Todd who played in the G League last year. He was the 31st pick in a recent draft. They got Jordan Goodwin, who's been a pretty tough, hard-nosed defender when he's gotten minutes for the Wizards. So these are not big-name guys at all, but Aiton having him still is what gives them flexibility to build out this roster and add more wings, make another trade. The Suns aren't done yet. They're going all in, and they got better. At the end of the day, that's, that's all you're trying to do with a trade is get better, and they did. And Isaiah Todd was a five-star kid. He goes to the G League instead of going to college. I mean, he has a lot of talent. I know he has a relationship with Kevin Durant as well. So I, I think that was a very under... And Goodwin as well. Like I said, those are two guys when you yeah. talk about the depth of this team and guys who can come off the bench and give you some uh, minutes, right? And then they have guys that they can try to get back on, you know, some some minimum contracts as well, like Landell. Jock Landell is a guy who they probably can bring in. Um, but I think the the next question is, what does this mean for DeAndre Ayton's future? Obviously, he gets the restricted offer from the Pacers last year. The Suns internally kind of mull over. Do we match this? Do we let him walk? They decide to match it. They decide to go all in, try to make one last run. But where does Ayton fit into this picture? Because ostensibly he's the fourth option, right? I mean, we have Kevin Durant, who's probably your number one, Devin Booker, 1A, 1B, Bradley Beal, 1C. Uh, now we're getting eight and he's your fourth option. Is he happy with that? And is there a world in which Phoenix tries to flip him and move him and try to get more players uh, for his large contract? The Suns will try to explore what's out there with Aiton. That's what they've been doing in recent weeks. And right. he, you know, he very well could have been in that Wizards deal if the Wizards actually wanted Aiton. They didn't want him. Uh, they preferred the the expiring salary. So I think for Phoenix in, the, in this situation now, they'll look at deals for teams that can absorb his salary without giving up, you know, anything but draft picks. 
So teams like the Spurs, for example, they could pair him with Wemby. Oklahoma City put him with Chet Holmgren. Maybe Houston would want a downhill rolling setter in Ime Adoka's offense. That's kind of his preference for a big man, that type of athletic rolling big. So I think those types of teams could make sense. But then also, you know, somebody that's looking for a big, maybe Dallas, they need a big man. I don't love the eight and fit with Luka. I think those guys would hate each other. They'd get on, get on each other's nerves. But maybe Dallas feels differently about how that could manis- manifest for them. They have the 10th pick. Indiana can't trade for him right now because um, they signed him to an offer sheet last year. But teams like that make some sense. They can give up a first-round pick or multiple picks in this draft where where Phoenix can have some guys on rookie contracts that can contribute. Because this draft, as you notate, as you notate watching college basketball, it's deep with some upperclassmen that can come yep. in and defend right away and make reliable plays. And under the new CBA, it's going to be important for the Suns to hit on what limited picks that they end up having to, to fill out the rest of this roster. And they're going to have, you know, obviously the cap hit that is incoming with the new CBA. This was like, you know, they basically had this tight window to get this type of deal done before we start talking about tax exemptions and all this other stuff, all all the uh, drudge of uh, the cap itself. So that's going to be fascinating. So I got the odds. I got the NBA futures in front of me. The Nuggets right now are the favorites at plus 460, Celtics plus 500, Bucks plus 500, and then the Phoenix Suns at plus 650. Just thinking about their roster construction, I've seen a lot of conversations about Devin Booker moving over to be sort of a point book, as uh, as the NBA Twitter people want to call him. So he's more of the point guard. There were conversations about maybe Kyrie Irving potentially being in that role. I don't I don't see that really happening, obviously, with the Beal situation. But do they need a point guard um, it, with this team, or are we going to rely on Devin Booker to kind of be that primary creator? I think they'll rely on Booker. You know, Beal, Durant, all three of those guys are going to shield the playmaking responsibility depending on matchup situation. Well, what's the advantage for the guy who's going to initiate your offense? And Book, he will be the guy that is the primary creator in those situations. I, I think without Chris Paul during the postseason, we saw that Suns offense run. It was a bit more crisp. You know, Chris Paul liked to slow things down more. And that worked for, you know, three seasons. Like he helped turn this franchise around. He helped lead them to a finals, and he deserves a heck of a lot of credit for that. But I think they've evolved past that, and he's declined to a point that that Booker became the better option to run the show for them. And so for Phoenix, getting Jordan Goodwin, kind of a defensive-oriented point guard off the bench, that's what makes sense for Phoenix. And at this point, I don't think they need a point guard. What they need is wings, guys who can space the floor, who can defend multiple positions, and they if they flip Aiton, just getting some guys around Jock Landell if they bring him back, just who can play center alongside Durant in that front court. Yeah, Bismack Biombo versus Nikola Jokic. I feel like that is the future <laughs> of the Phoenix Suns. So that'll be fascinating to watch. And maybe Bismack is that guy. I know Dwight Howard did a good job against Jokic back in the bubble. So maybe Dwight Howard, after he got 65% of his salary cut in Taiwan, he decides to try to come back on a minimum. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see what happens with the Phoenix Suns. I want to talk about the other guy involved in this. You mentioned him, CP3. The Suns had not made the playoffs for, what, 10 years or nine nine or straight seasons. Uh, Chris Paul goes to OKC. He has his uh, kind of redemption run with the Thunder. We have the bubble Suns happen. He goes to Phoenix. They get to the NBA Finals. 
Chris Paul says he's addicted to the NBA Finals once he gets there and they're up 2-0. We all know the rest and how that played out. But now there's a chance where Chris Paul can try to figure out what his best fit is for the future. We've heard teams like the Lakers. We've heard teams like the Clippers. Even the Knicks have thrown their name into the ring. Um, Where is and what is the best fit for someone like Chris Paul at this point? I mean, for CP3, I think it's got to be a team ready to compete for the finals or has the hopes of competing for the finals. Somebody like the Clippers has been mentioned. I reported them a couple of weeks ago as, as a team along with the Lakers that would have interest. Uh, I think the Clippers are the clear number one in my eyes for Chris Paul because we saw with Russell Westbrook, despite Russ's deficiencies as a player at this stage of his career, having somebody who can set the table for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George helps enhance those guys and make them even better. And so Chris Paul can do that better than Russell Westbrook. They could have both of those guys potentially. There's no stopping them from bringing Russ back. But CP3 in that situation, a reunion with the Clippers, it's a nice story. It's a full circle moment, him going back there. Uh, I'd love to see that for CP3 if it's not, you know, the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yeah, there was a video that got, uh, you know, circulated around of Chris Paul dunking in a gym that was a Lakers gym. And then a lot of people were trying to read between the lines that Chris Paul was trying to send a message that he wants to go to the Lakers. But just from a narrative standpoint, I think that uh, him going back to the Clippers and, you know, maybe having this, you know, reunion of sorts and having a Kawhi Leonard there, having a Paul George there, maybe he can go on Paul George's podcast. It seems like a, a match made in heaven <laughs> there in Los Angeles. Um, so I, I'm excited about that. And then also uh, a team that was involved that I didn't mention with Chris Paul was probably even more fascinated when you just talk about the the point guard position. The Golden State Warriors uh, were reportedly in the mix for Chris Paul. Draymond declines his player option. He's now going to become an unrestricted free agent. Obviously, the Warriors have put out that they want to re-sign him. That is their goal. We also understand that Mike Dunleavy is not Bob Myers, so he doesn't have the same relationship with the Draymond or with that core group of guys. He has a relationship, but it's not the same. They didn't go through, you know, the trudging of being the GM during those, you know, dynasty years. So from the Warriors standpoint, we'll start with Draymond. What what do we forecast there and what is a what is a contract or a fit look like for Draymond to stay in Golden State and keep the dynasty going? Well, with Chris Paul, uh, I mean, I think he's an interesting part of this equation here because if Dr- you do want to keep Draymond, yeah. but if you did lose Draymond, wouldn't Chris Paul make sense as a, as a type of target where he could be a guy who's initiating your offense like Draymond does? Mm. He seems like a backup option to Draymond to me. So with Draymond, if he were to leave for Dallas with a sign and trade, or what about Phoenix? Right. We got Matt Ishbia, who's going all in, trying to sign everybody. Would he flip Aiton to Golden State? Is there a way for them to and you know, really add to this deal and make it a three-way and flip Draymond with send Chris Paul to Golden State and wow. then get Draymond in a sign and trade type of situation? We could get crazy here if we want to, but ultimately for the Warriors, they do want to bring him back. I think right now Draymond is seeing what type of money he could get out there from other teams, trying to drive the price up on the Warriors, and that's going to put it on Joe Lacob. How much do you want to pay Draymond Green? He's won a championship since they lost Kevin Durant, but he also had years where he was out of shape and looked like a declined player. Do you want to reward him with a massive contract if that's what it takes to bring him back? Or do you want to kind of just let him loose, 
you know, recalibrate the roster around Steph and Clay Thompson and figure it out from there. It's definitely the big question of the offseason in the Western Conference, aside from what the Suns are doing. And I think they want, I think they'll end up bringing them back. That would be my bet. But uh, at the same time, if you're Draymond and you can get a max or close to max offer from, from somebody else, maybe you bounce, maybe you go. Right. And, you know, there's always been that conversation, right, where Draymond, you know, he has his own value in his opinion. He thinks yes. he's the greatest defensive player ever. He has said that on the record, right? Also, Steph Curry, you create a weird tension. Steph Curry publicly said that he wanted to run it back. He wants to bring everyone back. So if the front office and the ownership group does not fulfill his wishes, do you get into a world in which Steph Curry is not happy and he's disgruntled with what's going on in Golden State? So there's a lot of dominoes that could fall there. Um, the best case scenario, right, is Draymond comes back and Golden State figures out how to make the whole situation work with Jordan Poole. Is, is Jordan Poole still on the the chopping block, so to speak? Is he a guy that has been floated around? Are they looking for trades for Poole? Because I know Bradley Beal was another name, and I feel like the contracts maybe match up with Poole. Was that something that was floated by Golden State, or is, are they staying pat with Poole? Well, the Wizards didn't want any long-term salary, so they didn't want Aiton. I'd assume they didn't want Poole or even Tyler yeah. Hero from Miami. But for Golden State, like Jordan Poole definitely has been involved in conversations. He's making you know about $30 million per year. Oh He's God. not worth that money for the Warriors after one year after giving it to him. Uh, so I, I'd expect them to, to continue shopping him. He would make sense as a player to send to the Wizards for Chris Paul. But the thing is, is like I just said, the Wizards don't want long-term salary. So unless they're in love with Jordan Poole, I don't see that as a viable path forward for them it, it's it's interesting with the Warriors like I think Draymond going back running it back is the best case scenario um but if he wants good pod content and he wants to leave and the Warriors need to reshuffle the decks may, maybe it ends up being for the best because Draymond did have that year or two where he declined mm. and he's not quite the same all-world defender even though he is still a great defender in the league I don't think he's quite at his prime level. So if you're paying him that a significant amount of money, maybe there's a way for Dunleavy with this new role to to prove himself and make the roster his own way around Stephen Curry that we that we haven't envisioned before with it being Steph, Clay, and Draymond all throughout different changing pieces. Maybe this is the first time we see something dramatically different around Stephen Curry. And you mentioned Matt Ishbia and the new owner syndrome, right? He's trying to, it's probably the most yeah. all in we've seen a team in quite mm -hmm. some time where they just got into the mix and they're like, we'll do whatever to get this guy. We're trying to win now. Uh, Mark Cuban is a, obviously a very forward facing owner. There might be a world in which he says, let's throw Draymond a bunch of money so we can get into these pools. Um, and then also Ishbia is a Michigan State guy. So he'll probably be a little upset that Draymond mm -hmm. would go to Dallas. And uh, we obviously know about that rivalry between Dallas and Phoenix. We remember the game seven. Uh, there was a little bit of back and forth between Booker and Luca, right? So there, there's a lot of underlying stories between those two franchises. So I like the idea of Mark Cuban maybe trying to make a splash with Draymond as well. And like you said, it's great pod content. And I think Luca having an enforcer next to him like Draymond might be the best case scenario for Draymond. Who knows? Am I crazy to think that? No, not at all. I, I'd love, I'd love to see Draymond on a different team. For I mean, like, I think it'd be great for you know for us consuming the game of basketball and watching the NBA. I think Phoenix or Dallas, even the Lakers, less so. The Lakers because AD and LeBron, the spacing wouldn't be great there. But if you put him say like Draymond with Luca, or Draymond with Steph or the with KD, Beal and Booker. I wonder if Ishbia, Michigan State guy, if Durant's, you know, former teammate of him, now they've reconnected their friends again. Right. 
I, I wonder like if Phoenix could actually be the team here. This is not sourced to be clear. Um, but I just I reading the tea leaves here with him trying to look for leverage and with the Suns and in, in, in need of some more defensive oriented players. I, I wonder if Phoenix is the team that Draymond could be targeting and that he could be the player that they want. Yeah, and at the end of the day, Phoenix needs someone to do the dirty work. And I think that's what everyone is yes. saying with this big three, right? It's not that we don't think those three guys are talented and that they're mid-range assassins and that they're going to be great scorers. Mm-hmm. It's that someone, and it may be one of those three guys, but someone on yep. the, on that team has to do the dirty work or they have to find someone to do the dirty work. And if I know anything about Draymond Green, and I think the rest of the basketball world can agree, Draymond Green lives in the mud. He loves the yes. mud. He wants to be dirty. He wants to do the dirty work. Um, so I, and I he's think your that, table setter, Tate. He's the guy right. who can run point for you as well, just like he has for years next to Steph and Clay. Right. And and give Booker and Beal like the Clay yep. and Steph treatment. So it's like 100%. now you guys are running around. <laughs> you don't have the ball responsibility that yep. you had. It's like a recreation of what Golden State was mm-hmm. doing, but obviously with different pieces. But you still have Kevin Durant. And when you have Kevin Durant, you got one of the best scorers, if not the greatest scorer we've ever seen. Um, you know what I mean? So that's that's a pretty good spot. So Phoenix is fascinating. I want to talk about another fascinating team in the West. There's a lot of moving parts in the West and uh, a big decision. We were waiting to the end of the NBA Finals, but John Moran gets 25 games. The Memphis Grizzlies probably can, you know, um, you know, take that in and uh, have Tyus Jones, who's one of the best backups in the league, kind of hold and, and keep things at a, at a certain level before Ja comes back. What was your first takeaway when you saw the news? And what do you kind of forecast ahead for the Grizzlies with John Morant? I mean, they're going to have to find somebody alongside Tyus Jones, assuming he, you know, stays with the team moving forward that could run point. Uh, I think with John Morant, having a backup for him in the in the event that this is not the last time, we see something like this. Um, you never know. Uh, I think for the Grizzlies, they need to have those contingency plans in mind. It feels appropriate, you know, sus- the suspension at 25 games as a, as the second one after getting eight games previously. I think it's an appropriate length of time. He'll come back sometime in December or January. For the Memphis Grizzlies, though, I mean, think about how close the Western Conference was this last season. You know, the Grizzlies, mm-hmm. you know, they're the two seed. Um, but like between three and 10 was only six games of separation. There was only three games of separation between four and 10. So the difference between being a home court advantage and being in the play-in is very slim. So any amount of time the job misses is, is significant. But the Grizzlies have also been pretty good without John Morant over the last two seasons, both in the playoffs and the regular season. Right. So I think for them, they have a lot of supportive pieces. Maybe Desmond Bain takes takes a leap this year. Maybe he's the guy who runs more point for you uh, without John Morant there for a quarter of the season. So I look forward to seeing what they do. But more than anything else, they definitely do need to add another point guard. Well, John Moran was the number two pick in the 2019 draft, and we all know who the number one pick is. And unfortunately, he's in the news for uh, not the best stuff right now. And his name is Zion Williamson. Been busy. Been been too busy, (laughs) KOC. Uh, Log off. Uh, You know, that's our advice. Um, But in general, Zion is a transcendent talent when he is locked in and he is playing basketball. Unfortunately, we have not seen um, him doing that, uh, you know, as often as we would like as consumers and fans of the game, especially fans of USA basketball. There's been a lot of reports. Zion doesn't have a relationship with his teammates. One of his favorite coaches gets let go by the Pelicans. So you talked about the tea leaves. We don't, you know, necessarily have the sources here to say that Zion is going to be on the move, but our boss, Bill Simmons, has some sources that are telling him by Thursday, 
there is a high potential that Zion Williamson will not be a New Orleans Pelican. Um, and we're going to transition. This is draft week. So now that we can talk about the draft, but where does Zion Williamson, best case scenario, fit in somewhere else if it's not New Orleans? And are we hearing anything from other teams um, like Portland, who has the number three pick, or the Charlotte Hornets, who have the number two pick? Are they trying to move for Zion? It seems like for Portland, the preference is Zion. I'd love to see Zion there, assuming he can play more than 28 games per season. Right. Um, like if, if they were to keep Dame moving forward, I think like the dribble handoff actions, the pick and rolls, the the mismatches they could create against a switching defense would be unbelievable to watch. It would be beautiful basketball potentially if Zion can stay on the floor. And that's the big question for the Pelicans. I, I think it makes sense to shop him around. Uh, he, like you said, he does not have a, a big, a great relationship with his teammates, as has been reported. When I reported a feature on the Pelicans last year, some of the people I talked to on background were saying, "Yeah, I mean, he thinks he works hard, but he doesn't work hard at all. He needs to do this, he needs to do that, but he never has." And that hasn't changed after four years of being through adversity and underwhelming despite being a number one pick. Will it ever change? Maybe not, no matter where he ever plays. Maybe it's just a New Orleans issue. Uh, mm. So for them, if they could flip Zion into, say, Scoot Henderson, uh, who I think would be a great fit for the Pelicans next to Ingram and Trey Murphy and all their other young players, then to me, that's a perfect way to, to kind of spin the value of, I, uh, of Zion forward before that value turns to zero. Because if there's another year of this, with his current contract, you're not going to get much of anything next to, next year for him. And you're definitely not, not going to get the number two or number three pick in the draft. And since Zion went to New Orleans number one, there has been conversations about him wanting to be a New York Knicks. So I just, I think, you know, if you're a Pelicans fan, if you're in that front office, you've had to deal with sort of that backlash, um, you know, from day one, really. You have C.J. McCollum, who you brought in. You had Brandon Ingram, who's a great number two, maybe a 1B for a lot of people. So you have the pieces that are there. You have Herb Jones. You have, I mean, you, you got pieces, right? To, to You know, you got Grand Theft Alvarado, right? there. Mm, there's yeah. championship-type pieces on this team, but Zion is not on the floor, so that has always been an issue. And I, I think what you said about Portland, one, it gets him closer to Nike. He's a Jordan brand Nike guy, so I think if Portland... And the Nike team and the Jordan team can be closer to him. That's a positive. Two, you get Dame Lillard, who I think he will respect and maybe listen to. And then you also have a guy in Shaden Sharp who I think has a lot of potential to be a number two, you know, 1B type talent in Portland. So as much as a, as a Charlotte Hornets fan, I would love to see LaMelo and Zion. When you're kind of mapping it out with Portland, I think it makes a lot of sense for Zion. Yeah, absolutely. And for him, maybe it's for the best for his career to get that change. And I mean, dude, like you, you hope that Zion can figure it out because the, the highs will have just been unbelievable. I hope he figures it out. He needs to because uh, that year at Duke and look, I'm a Carolina guy, so it's hard for me to say I almost threw up in my mouth. But that year at Duke was transcendent, <laughs> right? It was it was one of the greatest college basketball seasons we've seen bar none. Um, so Zion, I, I hope he can figure it out. Uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, KOC, it is draft week. Uh, you've got a lot of great content at TheRinger.com. Go read The Ringer NBA Draft Guide. Uh, it, it is very fluid. Um, it is getting updated by the day. 
uh, by the minute. KOC is working overtime. This is the biggest week of the year. Um, just talking about the draft. Obviously, we know Wimby's going to go number one. Everybody knows that. Number two is when, quote unquote, the draft starts. The Charlotte Hornets have the number two pick. I know from my sources, I've I've heard Brandon Miller pretty much the entire time. I know you think Brandon Miller, number two. Um, is there any new updates there? And is there a world in which talking about Zion and talking about the interest from the Pelicans for Scoot Henderson, that they made they made, you know, divvy from the plan and pivot and take a Scoot Henderson just for the idea of maybe making a trade. Is that possible at this point? I think something like that could be possible, and that might be entering the the equation. There have been reports that on Monday, Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller were back working out with Charlotte for a second round of interviews with a workout with Michael Jordan in attendance. Right. Uh, so I think for them, that Monday, you know, could be a massive day for them with what they decide to do the rest of this week uh, for the Hornets. If they take Scoot Henderson, I think it can work with Lamelo Ball. You could play with those two, you know, two guys together. They can both play with and without the ball, particularly. Lamelo, um, but ultimately, I, I just I just think for them, if they could get Zion or Brandon Ingram, uh, in addition to potentially other draft capital in the future, that would be a better path forward alongside Lamelo Ball than Scoot Henderson. Ultimately, I just take Brandon Miller and call it a day. That, that's mm. what I would do at number two. Right, and you know the the word out of Charlotte, from what I heard from day one, and I said to you, I don't know if it's a smokescreen or not. I was told years ago Donovan Mitchell was the pick, and then they took Malik Monk. Obviously, he fell on draft night, so a lot of things happen in the moment that you can't really, you know, um, you know, forecast. But in general, I think if they were to take Brandon Miller and put him next to Lamelo Ball, your backcourt is a six foot seven point guard and a six foot nine shooting guard, and both those guys can create their own shot and create for others. That is a good dynamic. Um, you know, just talking about a basketball standpoint and defensively, you have a mismatch at all times at those two positions. So that is what I think Charlotte in their in their in their minds, that's what they were trying to uh to to, you know, kind of hone in on for this draft. So that's why I think Brandon Miller would be a nice fit there at number two. I wanted to ask you, is there a guy that is rising right now? You know, I mean, we're, we obviously have a top 10. It's pretty much consensus top 10. Uh, you were the first guy I saw put Taylor Hendricks in the top 10. Now I see him everywhere in the top 10. But is there anyone that's rising up the boards right now? Maybe not even into the top 10, but, you know, getting into that lottery level. Um, is there a name that's coming out right now as we get into draft week? The, the big name to know uh, is Bilal Kulabali, mm. the teammate of Victor Wembanyama for the Mets 92. He's a 6'7 wing, 7'2 wingspan, super long, great defender, good feel on offense. He's not much of a shot creator at this stage of his development, but he's so young, still as a teenager. He's the type of guy that you could see him in, in an offense playing alongside a big man and handoffs, cutting. Like Think about what we just saw with Jokic in the finals with Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray and Bruce Brown. I think Kulabali is going to be able to play in an offense like that, in addition to, you know, hitting spot up threes, attacking closeouts. So he's the guy that seems to be rising as kind of a as a gamble on, hey, this guy's a teenager and he has a high floor. What if he develops his handle over the course of time and keeps following this, you know, rapid trajectory that he's on? Maybe he's, he ends up the steal of the draft as somebody who is more of a shot creator in the near future. Uh, so he's the big riser right now at this stage. Yeah, and he's got a 7-2 wingspan. And uh, if I know anything about John Hammond, uh, you know, he th this is the time where we love wingspans. Uh, this is why Thon Maker once went number 10 overall. So Kulabale is also loved by our boss, Bill Simmons. He reached out to you, myself, and Kyle Mann to, uh, to announce his love for him. So I think there is a world in which he ends up being potentially a lottery guy. I like that pick. Um, KOC, 
Uh, I know this is a busy week for you. We're, you got a lot of content coming out. We got, uh, you know, Beyond the Arc, of course, here on FanDuel TV. Where else can we find all your amazing work for people at home? I'll be on twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, as always, with Chris Vernon on The Mismatch and uh, writing multiple times this week on the ringer.com, including some updates and a new mock draft with the Ringer's 2023 NBA Draft Guide. Well, there you have it, KOC. Go check out his new mock draft. Appreciate you coming on Through the Ringer. And again, the show is Beyond the Arc. Go check that out on FanDuel TV. KOC, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you, Tate. Joining us now to talk about one of the biggest free agent decisions in all of sports history. He is from The Athletic, and his name is Tom Bogert, and he's going to get us up to speed on all things messy. Tom, thanks so much for joining Through the Ringer. How you doing, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Big fan. Well, I uh, we got to get into this because this is uh, everyone's talking about this in the world of soccer. It's finally about the MLS. We've had this a few times, right? And we'll get into the weeds of this. But first and foremost, how did this happen? How did we get into a world where you know Inter Miami now is going to have the services of Lionel Messi coming to the U.S. and coming to the MLS? How did this all happen? How did this all break down? Um, well, let's get to the bare bones of how this all happened. Yeah, look, it, it, it's truly wild. This is something that's been on the horizon since. Literally the first day that Inter Miami were officially announced as an expansion club. Their mm. part of their rollout with David Beckham as the owner was this video that included a ton of big stars, one of which was Lionel Messi. And in that video, Lionel Messi says, Hey, who knows? Maybe in a couple of years, I'll be playing for Inter Miami. And it was just like, <laughs> Haha, that's cool. That'd be fun if it happened. But it's always been on kind of the horizon. Inter Miami have known this for years, they've been working towards this. They want big superstars and there's nobody bigger than the greatest player to ever play soccer who just won the world cup six months ago. So he's right. end of his prime, but he's still at, at the peak of his powers or, or something close to that. Yeah. And it's, I'm, you mentioned, go, no, go, 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 go. I, no, I could no, no. monologue for eight minutes about how long, how the deal came through. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, you mentioned, I mean, a lot of the times with the MLS, right. Traditionally we see a guy come over and you know, it's at the end of their career, David Beckham, you know, is a perfect example of that. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, right. Guys that are kind of like the, the end of Wayne Rooney. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're getting a guy who just won the world cup, which was a, a big situation for him that he needed to do in his career. He gets over the hump. He makes that happen. And now he's going to go join the MLS. So we're getting the Lionel Messi that is maybe not in his prime, but at least it's a it's a somewhat of his prime, right? That's that's ridiculous. That's good news for everybody. Yeah, look, he in his you know the French league isn't the most well respected league in Europe, but it's still one of the five best. He had, mm-hmm. I believe, it was twenty goals and twenty one assists. He was the only person in Europe to have twenty goals and twenty assists for the club team this season. So look, he's not you know, the peak of his powers, which again is literally the best player ever. This is not the very best prime version of him, but you know, like LeBron with the heat versus LeBron, I don't know, his first years with the Lakers. Like it's, he's still an absolute superstar, not quite at the peak of his powers as the best version of the best player ever. But again, it's, it's six months after he won the world cup and just after wrapping up a French league season in which they were champions. And he was very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, David Beckham is part owner of Inter Miami, as you mentioned at the top of the show, and he made a similar career move, comes to the U.S. It was a big deal. L.A. Galaxy capitalized on that. We all remember that. But how much credit do we give Beckham for making this move happen and kind of selling the dream of Miami to Messi? So I'll start with Beckham as a player. This is Mm -hmm. only possible because David Beckham decided to come in 2007. The league was barely 
barely ready for David Beckham at that time. And, and there's so many good stories of the hotels the players are in, the league minimum that at that time was $12,500 for people on partially guaranteed contract. So wow. David Beckham is sharing a locker room. And it's like the second best pl- uh, paid player on that team was like 300,000. And there was three players, four players on the team who was in like more than 200,000. Like the league is in a much better place, both infrastructure, finances, talent. But this doesn't happen if David Beckham doesn't come. That's the domino that set off all these events that have led to the league getting better and better. David Beckham, the owner, that's obviously helps you get in the door. Uh, Adidas, everything, all these relationships. The owners that were involved in every step of the way leading this charge, Felino Messi, were Jorge and Jose Mas, the the Miami-based brothers, uh, um, businessmen who who are also the managing owners of Inter Miami. And David Beckham is uh, just a co-owner or minority owner, regardless. So. A, a lot of people from the outside and myself included from the beginning before I started making calls about this was assuming David Beckham is leading the charge here. But no, no, no. It was Jorge and Jose Mas. They are the ones who've been going to Argentina or meeting him in Europe or, or having all these conversations. It's been led and driven by them. Mm. And the, some of the details, you mentioned the Adidas part of this. I mean, what is that? There's like a Apple streaming cut yeah. and then there's, you know, Adidas, uh, you know, they have some sort of cut in this as well. What is what are the details behind that just sort of involvement of those two entities, too, with all this move? Yeah, so, and, and this is a good time to get, really get into the weeds of this. As of right now, there's no <laughs> contract the weeds. signed. There's no contract <laughs> signed, which is, you know, you, there's nothing to worry about. It's going to happen, but it's such a, it's a complicated, complex deal that it's not like, the Saudi Arabia money that he turned down is just inconceivable, but that contract mm-hmm. would be, you're getting paid $400 million for this season, signed on the dotted line. This is, you're going to get money from Miami. You're going to get X amount of shares of new subscriptions for Apple. You're going to get X amount of revenue splits from your products, from Adidas. So there are a lot of moving factors in this deal. And legally, like MLS lawyers have to go through this. Inter-Miami lawyers have to go through the Messi. So there's just a lot of moving parts. And it's difficult. Like, I've seen all the, the silly graphics on the internet that um, he's making X amount of dollars per minute. Like, dude, there's not a deal signed yet. And two, <laughs> you can't calculate how much he's making because it's not a traditional contract. And we are paying you X amount of dollars over X amount of years. It's you know, if, if there's a lot of subscriptions to Apple, he gets more. If there's less, he gets less. It's just, I don't know, it's really complex. It, it, it's very, very unique. And it's the only way that MLS and Inter-Miami could have a chance at competing with, again, just obscene, in, uh, inconsumable amounts of money from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and so when is he first expected to play for the team? I know I was just looking up, you know, into Miami. They're not doing so hot right now, so they probably <laughs> want Messi to come as soon as possible. But when is that date? When will that be set? And like you said, nothing's been signed so far, so it might not be a sure thing. But when are we expecting him to get over here to Miami? The the Again, this is all fluid, um, so I have to mm-hmm. be boring and couch all this. But the reporting <laughs> from myself and colleagues at The Athletic are July 21st. They play. There's a new competition this year. Uh, for MLS teams versus Mexican teams. So it's outside of the regular season play. And again, for people who don't follow soccer, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? There's a lot <laughs> going on here. But so his first game is is hopefully going to be July 21st. That's not set in stone. Nothing is set. There's maybe uh, they can convince him to play five minutes, 10 minutes in the All-Star game, which is a few days before that. That wouldn't obviously, that would just be a friendly. Um, but there's a scenario in which, like, what if he says, look, man, I'm st- he's still on international duty with Argentina right now. He hasn't had a break since a year ago what if he's like i just want three weeks off and then hey i'll come in at the end of july get ready and and play mid-august like maybe i'm not saying that that's likely but the most likely date is july 21st but just before you spend a thousand dollars on tickets to sit in the in the upper sides just just make sure that he's playing 
Yeah, so Inter Miami right now, I mean, we're on FanDuel TV, so we got to look at the odds. So they are plus 2,100 to win the MLS. Um, you know, a lot of people would think, you know, maybe the, you know, the the mind, the, the simple mind may think, hey, Messi comes over, they're instantly the favorite. I mean, do we expect it to be that sort of impact where Messi comes and Miami is all of a sudden a juggernaut in the sport? Or is it going to take some time and is Messi going to have to recruit some other players to make this team an actual contender to win the MLS? Yeah, juggernaut, no. Um, the idea, <laughs> the hope is, is that they can get into the playoffs because in MLS, nine teams make the playoffs. So there's a play in between eight and nine. And they're in 15th out of 15th in, in their conference. So Perfect. they're not dead or anything. <laughs> they're not dead and gone or anything. But the roster, they've been holding these spots for Messi and friends or keeping flexibility open. So the roster was already shorthanded to begin with. They're dealing with transfer sanctions that stem from the Moss brothers. Um not correctly reporting some of their signings to make it fit under the cap better. So the the roster was, you know, underhanded a little bit by that. Their most important player, who's a defensive midfielder, who would fit perfectly with Messi because he would do all the hard man stuff, the running, the tackling, the defending, all that behind Messi. He's out. He's been out for a couple months. He's out until mid-September. They have another midfielder who would pair very well with Messi and another very key player who's out until September, October. So this roster, if they were fully fit and you just, just add Messi, I'd be like, yeah, like, why not throw 20 bucks on, on 20 to one for them to win MLS Cup just because like get in the playoffs and then Messi's the best player on the field at any point and, and you can always win. And that's still the case, but I'd feel a lot better about it if just one of those two other starters weren't injured or if it was, you know, more firm on who is going to come because my, and I'm, we'll probably talk about this, but my understanding is Sergio Busquets, a defensive midfielder, is the mm. most likely to join him. But all of these reports about Luis Suarez, Angel Di Maria, Jordi Alba, like insert anybody that he's ever played with, there's not going to be seven new guys coming this summer. It might just be Busquets or maybe it'll be more, but let's just before it's like Messi and friends, all-star, all-star 11, like let's pump the brakes. Yeah, it seems like immediately as the news came out, there was this conversation about quote-unquote Messi and friends and how he's going to build this super team. And it would be interesting if Busquets did that because he would take a major pay cut, which probably would raise some eyebrows around the league and some people would have some conversations about that. But is he recruiting anyone probably actively at this point? Or do you think that's more of just the media fodder around the idea of Messi being in the MLS? Oh, that's a good question. So I'll, I'll again to be the boring journalist. It's a trial. No, you have to be. My I, yeah, I can ask you the fun stuff, and then you. No, no, I'm straight. <laughs> so look, I don't know how much of it is opportunistic agents. Like mm. all of a sudden, it was Suarez, and it was Di Maria, and it was Alba, and all these other like places. Right. And like, oh, by the way, Alba has our offers from Saudi Arabia. Like Saudi Arabia, why don't you up that offer? Because maybe I'll go to Miami now, whether it's real or not. Right. So there's a lot of that going on. Busquets is very real. They've been, they were in talks pretty much congruently with Messi. And it was like, if Messi comes, we think we'll be able to sign him. And that seems to be the case. I'm still told that nothing's done or agreed or whatever. Busquets himself came out last week and said, nothing's been decided. My future isn't tied to Messi, whatever. But they're best friends. They want to play together. That's simple. I, I'm expecting him to come. Angel Di Maria is another Messi friend. He plays on the Argentine national right. team. I have been asking last year, hey, people in his camp, any chance to come to MLS? No, the money won't be close, like Saudi Arabia, whatever. He must stay in Europe. Six months ago, same thing. You know, we, we would be open to it, but no chance. And then all of a sudden, messy news comes, and I ask, and it's like, look, yeah, we're interested in it. But my understanding is they called Miami, and Miami were like, yeah, we'd, we'd be, that'd be cool. Like, we'd be interested in, in exploring a possible deal. And like six hours later, it was uh, being reported by a lot of people on Twitter and a lot of newspapers. And it's like, all right, does he really want to come, or is this just leverage for another contract? So there's going to be a lot of that. But um, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely excited to see where it ends up.
you mentioned Saudi Arabia. That was one of the, uh, you know, a lot of people before the Miami stuff came out, they thought that there was an assumption that that probably would be where Messi would go just because of the the big dollar figure, right? Um, and we've seen that happen before. But the Moss brothers, who you talked about before, they get in to this situation. They start recruiting Messi. What can we, the fact that they're able to go head-to-head with Saudi Arabia and complete an enticing enough of an offer to get him to Miami. What do we really need to know about the Moss brothers, you know, behind the curtain to make that happen? Because that seems like uh, a pretty overwhelming kind of shocking situation. Yeah. And look, they have the reputation of being, um, what's, what's the right way to play that, that they're definitely not going to underplay things that they do. Right. And they're brazen, they, they, right? Yeah. yeah and a lot of big promises that it's always a little bit difficult to nail down. Some of these, you know, I remember when, when they were trying to buy the Miami Marlins, and the reports around MLB was that, you know, the, the money wasn't there enough. They, they needed more investors, whatever. And then um, the Miami Marlins traded John Carlos Stanton or Mike Stanton and, and traded Ozuna and Yelich. And then the Moss brothers go in the media and say, oh, my God, if we if we got the team, like we would have raised the we wouldn't have traded them. We would have raised the the, uh, the budget. And like in reality, that probably wasn't true. But it's just like that's kind of their perception. So like getting Lionel Messi is incredible. Like uh, that, that seemed like a negative way to open this up that. They deserve it. They deserve whatever flowers they're getting. They deserve whatever credit they're getting because, again, like Miami lifestyle, that's a big recruiting tool. Messi has a house in Miami. He loves Miami. He vacations there all the time. You still have to make him sign because he could just go vacation there while playing for Saudi in, in Saudi Arabia with an obscene amount of money, but they convinced him that this was right and this was the right move and, and everything else. So, look, it was very creative. It was a long push. They've been working at this for a very long time, and, and it's just it's really incredible that it came through. Yeah, and one of Messi's teammates, uh, the probably the biggest uh, Brazilian star in soccer right now, obviously, is Neymar. And he said, quote, unquote, this is a game changer for the MLS. Um, he was, you know, at game four for the Miami Heat. He's in Miami. We see Neymar all the time, right, in the U.S. So they obviously have a rapport down there. How much do you think this will lead into the idea that maybe Neymar is the next domino to come to the U.S. and be that next star after Messi? Is, Mef- is Messi paving a path for all these stars to come over here? I hope so. And I'm going to be honest, like, to the Saudi Arabian league as like a threat to MLS. I didn't really buy it until they signed Kareem Benzema and N'Golo Conte. And I thought that that's where Messi was going to end up because of the Ipsy money. And again, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, I, I was very, very worried. I think Messi helps a whole lot because if Messi went to Saudi Arabia right now, I'd be extremely pessimistic. I would, and I wouldn't be on the show for you to be asking me, but I'd be <laughs> extremely pessimistic if you asked me about whether more, you know, star names would, would come to MLS because look like, MLS used to be known as retirement league or viewed as a retirement league where, where guys would come for one less paycheck past the prime and, and past, past their ability. And look, Neymar is, he was better four years ago or a couple years ago, whatever. Like if he comes to MLS, it won't be the very best mid prime version of him, but he's still obviously really, really good and could be really, really helpful to a lot of European teams. So I hope that MLS never loses this, that it's never going to not be a home for Messi or Neymar or insert any other kind of Zlatan Ibrahimovic was a really great example. Any of those guys, I hope that it's, always a home for that while still pushing the development and the talent and the quality that has continued to rise, which has made this league a serious league, but never, but continues to be a home for these players, these huge superstar players at the end of their career. Because if you just wanted to watch a league with good youth development, you'd go watch the Dutch league. You'd go watch the Belgian league, the Argentine league. The, what, what MLS can be so fun is that with the salary cap of the parity with the end to end games, a lot of goals, a lot of action, and na- big name recognition. Like, I, I like that's the lane that this league can carve for itself. And again, as long as Messi's coming and as long as the enough players aren't going to Saudi Arabia, at least, you know, they're going to get some and, and hopefully that we keep getting the rest. 
Yeah, and I just got to ask a quick branding question because I've seen the, a lot of MLS teams have rebranded, right? We've seen, you know, that's been a big thing, right? They're trying to be more international friendly with their names. Do we expect at some point the MLS will actually rebrand? Because when I think of Major League Soccer, that doesn't necessarily, that's not like a one-to-one when you talk about the Premier League or the Champions League. Yeah. Is there any world in which the MLS changes its name overall? I know the teams are doing it, but will the MLS actually do a brand name change? I hope not. As somebody who's been trying to, so now disappointed at expansion teams come in and now the new one is San Diego FC. Like, give me a break. Like, why can't we have a little fun? Like, LA Galaxy, I love that. Like, the Montreal yeah. Impact changed to Club de Foot Montreal because of French Canada. And it's just like, it's awful. The, the, yeah, you want to be globalized and you want more people in Europe. So you're like, somebody in Spain doesn't care about CF Montreal more than they would care about the Montreal Impact. And like, it, do- right. it doesn't seem. Who cares what the name is? If the club, if the if the quality is major league, it's going to be viewed as major league. Like I don't know. I think that sometimes this league is too quick to try to adhere and and be like Europe. Because again, we tried really hard at the beginning in 1996 to not be that, and realize okay, this probably won't work. And I think we've overcorrected, and we need to keep some of our uniqueness and, and a couple of our fun quirks. Yeah, you're saying let's hold ground here and let, let's be who we are. We are the MLS. Um, I wanted to ask about Messi himself, just like the the growth of his sort of uh, status in the U.S. And, you know, there was always a conversation about Ronaldo versus Messi, who's the greatest of all time. It feels like since Ronaldo took the Saudi money, he has sort of, you know, fallen back a little bit. And now Messi coming to the U.S., he's going to be even more in the forefront. Do you think by the end of this run, when Messi's done playing with Inter Miami, we're all going to be talking about in the U.S., he is the greatest of all time do you think that's going to be the end game for him as far as a branding of Lionel Messi for me yeah but I mean I've always been a Messi over Ronaldo guy and and I I really respect and appreciate what Ronaldo's done like it's there's nothing wrong with being the second best player of a generation the second best (laughs) player over the last 20-25 years but um I've always been a Messi guy and Messi winning the World Cup I I think it's it's inarguable like you know it's sports talk we're gonna argue about it we're gonna figure out stuff to say you know hey if you put Ronaldo in Argentina or vice versa like what would it be but he's got everything he's got club success he did it the the knock was that he couldn't do it with his country well he did it with his country then there was another knock well Ronaldo's done it at four different clubs or three different clubs and Messi's only done it at Barcelona then Messi goes to PSG they win league titles whatever so yeah and 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 the forefront of him being in the United States while Ronaldo is in Saudi Arabia is only going to kind of further that fact. And, and for me, there's going to be arguments for Pele from, from previous generations and Diego Maradona. I think that it's these conversations are Pele, Maradona, Lionel Messi, and then mm. everybody else. Like there's the, the zone tier of these were the generation's best players, best talent. And like, for me, I don't, I don't even think about Messi versus Ronaldo. I think this is a, for, for anonymous Twitter accounts to argue about on Twitter that I just, I just don't think is a real thing anymore. Yeah, you mentioned Pele. How different is this than when Pele decided to come play for the Cosmos in New York? You know what I mean? Like, if we talk about just the timeline of U.S. soccer, how much more impactful will this be than when Pele did that? Yeah, I mean, if we can go to a time machine and talk about it at the beginning of when Pele came, like, this would be very, very comparable. Or maybe Pele would even be a bigger deal because Cosmos Mm -hmm. games where the ticket was selling like Messi's ticket right now. Like, they had unprecedented... Uh, sellouts and, and attendance and every and interest and everything else. But within like two years of Pele retiring, the league folded. Like the right. league infrastructure was nowhere. Like, it wasn't ready for Pele. And like it was a boost and they couldn't hang on to it because when Pele left, all the interest left. Like it won't be the same whenever Messi leaves. Like the interest, there's going to be a whole lot of fans who came just to watch Messi, but there's enough of a fan base that had already made this league sustainable, already put this league on an upward trajectory. The infrastructure Honest to God, like I, I'm, I'm going to sound like MLS Homer guy, but you talk to players, 
the infrastructure, the training facilities here are vastly superior to a lot of teams in Europe and not just like, you know, secondary leagues. Like these are comparable to Premier League clubs. Like um, Cucho Hernandez came from Watford in the Premier League to Columbus. Columbus opened their new training facility and he was like, this blew me away. This is this is incredible. It's, it's better than kind of what I've had. And again, I'm sure he's incentivized to say that he plays for Columbus, whatever. But it's just a common refrain that this league is is in just a phenomenal place. And when if if Messi didn't come, it would have been fine. It wouldn't have been as much of a boost, but it would have been fine. And versus when Pele was done, it was over for the NASL. Yeah, and you've seen like you know guys like Wayne Rooney now coaching in the league. There's a lot of familiar faces where if you grew up like you know in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, and you knew players overseas, they're around the MLS. You see their faces, you're like, it's a lot of signposting. You're like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> so uh, I have to ask, do you think Messi will retire in the U.S. and then stay around, hang around, maybe even own a team similar to David Beckham in the MLS? Is that something that we can forecast and hope will happen for MLS fans? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, again, he loves Miami. I could see him being there long term. I don't know what his post-career plans are. Um, I do know that talks of this deal for a long time involved him either being able to purchase an uh, equity stake in an MLS club, assuming into Miami. It, like the David Beckham deal was unique in that he got to trigger an option for an expansion franchise. Like that'll never happen again. It didn't happen with Messi. There was a whole lot of other stuff, but you know, the <laughs> right. last expansion fee was 500 million and that's, that's a whole lot of money to mm-hmm. kind of own a club. But um, so yeah, maybe he'll stick around like that. But like, again, I don't know what, for the rest of his life, he can if he want if he wants to just be pay, paid to show up as Lionel Messi, he'll he'll make a fortune post career. Like he can do whatever the hell he wants. So I have no idea what he's gonna do. It's definitely a good spot to be in. All right, final question before we let, let you get out of here, Tom. I know I'm throwing a lot at you right now, <laughs> but um, how do you think? And I think this is always the question, right? When it comes to U.S. soccer in general, how do you think this will impact soccer in the U.S. as far as the fan interest? Is there a point where this will be vaulted into that big four space where we're talking NFL, NBA, MLB? Do you think that Messi and the interest and the intrigue and all that sort of stuff can we get to that position? Because we've had a lot of false starts over the years. Do you think Messi can finally be that guy? Yeah, I mean, for me, soc- global soccer is already, I would put it in the tier of NHL, MLB. It's just the difference right. is there's so many different leagues for people in this country to be fans of that it's kind of dispersed. Like MLS isn't MLB or NHL yet. They, they, the attendance numbers stack up favorably, but you know, part of that is the, just the size of the stadiums in NHL. You can't have a 50,000-seated stadium in it for an NHL game. Um, so it's there. It's whether or not, I guess, MLS can keep going. And again, and that's the million-dollar question of, how do you translate these eyeballs and make them stay? Or, you know, Inter-Miami gained 5 million Instagram followers when Messi stayed. How do you make wow. those 5 million people who only cared because Messi said he's coming and make them stay and make them care about this team or a different team or whatever in the future? So we have a couple of years to figure that out. We're building towards the 2026 World Cup. Like, there is no better time for this league to be, to be optimistic about this league than right now because of Lionel Messi coming the boon of interest that causes a historic uh, streaming deal with Apple TV that again, there's obviously bad. There could be bad things, but it's all kind of optimistic and positive right now. Then with the world cup in 2026 and the way that that could kind of launch and, and rise everything. So look, I, I'm, I'm full steam ahead. I'm optimistic. And maybe just because my own value and, and my own um, relevance is tied to this league doing well, because that's where my expertise is. And I don't really know how to do much else. So, you know, maybe I'm just really optimistic and hopeful, but uh, I think it's real. I like the optimism. I'm fired up. I'm excited to see Messi in the U.S., in Miami. That's going to be great. Um, He is Tom Bogart of The Athletic. If you are a fan of soccer, if you're a fan of the MLS, if you're a fan of the U.S. national team, go check out all of his amazing work. Tom, thanks so much for coming on Through the Ringer. We really appreciate it, man. Sure, Stay. Thanks for having me. Of course.